Man, it's good to be back. You miss me? Yeah, whatever. One of you did. We're going to take an offering this morning. As we do, I want to give you just a couple of things that are going on. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you don't miss out on anything. Fall registration for Upstreet and Wambalan is back there this morning on your way out the door to the left for children's ministries. If you have not registered them, do that. Need a lot of help, so you see the inserts. If you can help us out, give some time to the life of a child for the next generation. Going to kind of hear that this morning in the context of the message. So uh, keep that in mind. Help us out in any way you can. A lot of other information in there. Life groups are coming up, and you'll see some tables out over the next few weeks of ways to get connected. In a large church, it's really hard to do that. But this is one of the best ways to do that. Got a lot of other events, family night, trap shoot coming up this week on Wednesday night. Not for everybody, but if you want to try something different, unique, and maybe join with some other people that just want to give something a try, I'd love to have you there. Got to have you sign up today, though, because we need to know how much food to prepare for. There's some unbelievable events coming up in the fall. A lot of it kicks off in September. But the end of September, we've got Duffy Robbins coming back here, one of the greatest parenting speakers I've ever heard. Going to be here the last Sunday of the month of September. Going to want to make sure you see that on Sunday morning, hear him, and then a seminar with him in the afternoon right after the service. So you're going to want to mark that. And then one of the funniest Christian comedians I've ever been around, Ken Davis, going to be here in our sanctuary, one of those rare moments and opportunities. I never dreamed we could have him here. Going to be here on October 1st. A lot of great stuff this fall. You do not want to miss out on any of it. Please read your bulletin carefully. Look carefully at the inserts as we do. Never dreamed when I talked to you this morning about facing the Giants that the Steelers would have beat the Giants over the weekend. I just thought of that this morning. The how appropriate timing. When Keith told me last Sunday morning that he was going to talk about me and Samson in the same sermon, I wasn't sure exactly what he was going to do. I thought he was going to talk about this. When I knew that his looked like this. But he didn't. Don't tell him that. I want to see him in the second service. Am I blessed or what? I mean, every one of these guys hit a home run. So it was just so much fun to listen to them over the last few weeks and listen to their stories. How many of you have ever had a situation where you started your day one way and it ended another? Oh, really? Like every day? Or pretty much every week? You never know how it's going to turn out. You never know what's going to happen. You have all these plans, things you want to do. While I was on vacation, my son-in-law, Jonathan, and I always want to take a Harley trip somewhere. So he said, let's go to York, to the Harley Museum, the Harley Factory. I'm going, I'm in. My other son-in-law lives on the other side of there. So we get to meet in the middle and spend some time together. Looked at the weather forecast, three days, perfect weather. The weatherman's always right, right? How do you get paid for being wrong all the time? I have no idea. So we started out, looked sunny, headed out. Halfway there, it rained, and it rained the rest of the way. I'm going, how do they that wrong? I mean, I had no rain gear. I had nothing. Next morning, it's cold. Now, we're in July. So it's raining one day, cold the next day. And then we went to Gettysburg to the battlefields, and I thought, what an idiot I am. I'm whining about rain or cold. These guys are laying down their lives. Last three days of vacation, you may have seen my wife last Sunday morning walking around on crutches. 
Last three days of vacation, she slipped, went out from underneath her. Her legs went out from underneath her. The faster care doctor said it was fractured. We found out a few days later that it wasn't, but she's been dealing with that ever since. It's not how we expected our vacation to finish. Caught her skippy one day. That wasn't the brightest thing I've (laughs) probably done in my married life. Sometimes you start the day one way, it ends up another A lot of you in the room, i got to believe, are facing a difficult situation or challenge, and sometimes it's even a difficult person. If I were to ask you to raise your hand this morning, how many of you are facing a difficult challenge or person? Some of you may raise your hand. Some of you, though, may be sitting beside the person that's your biggest challenge or your most difficult. At some point in our lives, we're always going to face challenging situations or difficult people. Some of them not too bad. Some of them really do take the wind out of our sails. One of my favorite stories is Max Licato. Dave referred to him this morning. His book, The Eye of the Storm, talks about Chippy the Parakeet. Going about a normal every other day, just singing in his cage, till all of a sudden, everything changes in his life. The problem began when his owner decided to clean out his cage with a vacuum cleaner. She opened the door, took off the attachment, stuck it in. At that very moment, the phone rang. She turned to answer the phone, when all of a sudden, in he goes. Panicked by that, she set the phone down, opened up the bag of the vacuum cleaner, and there's Chippy just standing there, a little stunned and a little dazed. Doesn't look too good, so she decided with all that soot, i got to take him upstairs to the bathroom and put him in the bathtub and flush him off with water, which she obviously did. Now she recognizes he's cold and shivering, so she does what every normal bird owner would do, hit him with a hairdryer. friend came by one day and said, so how's Chippy doing? He said, well, he just kind of sits and stares. <laughs> Doesn't sing it all anymore. I got to believe that many of us feel like that every once in a while when the song is right there on our lips and then something happens. The pink slip comes, he says. The rejection letter arrives. The doctor calls, the divorce papers are delivered, the check bounces, the policeman knocks at your door. You're sucked into that black cavern of doubts, doused with cold water of reality and stung with the hot air of empty promises. The life had been so calm is now changing dramatically. And somewhere along the way, you lost your joy. The song that you used to have isn't there anymore. A lot of us in the room have had days when the wind got taken out of our skin sales. We face enormous challenges pretty much every day of our lives. I do not want you to miss, I'm going to give you an announcement now, which I normally wouldn't do, these next two Sundays. I'm going to do it a little bit different. I just felt I had a week of study week two weeks ago, and I came back, and I spent some time in the Word of God, spent some time looking through messages and looking through material and some of the things that I knew God wanted me to share in these moments together. And there's a message that I want to do next Sunday in the following following one, and that is to how to stay moral in a morally depraved world. I'm going to paint one of the ugliest pictures you've ever seen next Sunday morning of the world that we live in, and then how do we handle that? It's geared specifically to your kids, to your college kids, to those of us in tough environments, and I realize on Saturday, half the kids are already in college, and so I get the timing, but I really, really would love for you to get here, be here, and invite somebody here. They're going to be pretty dark next Sunday morning. The answers are in the following one of that, so I'd love to have you here. But you know as well as I do, we face incredible challenges. Some we meet head on, some we back away from, some leave scars. 
We're familiar with stories of bullies picking on other kids or that dominating boss. For me, it was a sixth grade teacher who right in the middle of a classroom beat up, threw across the desk and out the door one of the students. It scared me so bad, I literally missed one-fourth of my sixth grade year. My parents took me to every doctor they could find to find out what's wrong with them physically. And they could find nothing, and I knew in my heart what it was. One of these things that really scar you for life to this day. I hate taking on bullies. I hate taking on challenges. But many of us have been in situations where you've had that growing up with maybe a dominating parent, a dominating boss, a dominating person, somebody you work with who really pushes you to the end and you think, am I ever going to be able to handle the situation, a circumstance, or person? Now, when I listened to the four sermons over the last few Sundays, I realized that three out of the four guys mentioned David. And so this morning, I want to talk about David's life. We're going to take a hiatus from him for a couple of weeks, and then in September, pick up his life again, because we're going to stay in this series of the Old Testament still speaks. God says in Corinthians, look, I've written all of this, all of this, so that you can learn. I've given you some of these stories so you can remember what to do and what not to do. The price of freedom, the price of bondage. What we're going to look at this morning is one of David's most famous stories, and that is, of course, the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to read the first 11 verses, tell you the rest of the story as we go through. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war against the, in Soko in Jersey. God, that's not right. There is a Soho Jersey, you know that. In Judah, Saul and the Israelites assembled together to camp in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites the other, with a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He had a height that was six cubits in a span, had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of bronze weighing about 5,000 shekels on his legs were bronze greaves. <coughs> he had a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. Spear had a shaft like a weaver's rod. Iron point weighed 600 shekels. The shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Have him come out to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your servants or subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll be our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight with each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You've got sermon notes in your bulletin this morning, and it's going to give you a a lot of the essence of what it is that we're talking about. And one statement is that every single one of us face an enemy every day of our lives called Satan, who is out to intimidate us and destroy us. The ultimate desire, Peter says, is to do that, to literally eat you up and destroy you. The difference in this story this morning is sometimes like life, we have an enemy that we can see and identify. We just don't know if we have the courage to take him on. Could be a relationship that has been broken and never made right. Could be a physical illness that plagues you, a habit. That sin that, as Paul describes in Hebrews, keeps entangling us or tripping us up. Just when I think I'm going to make it, I'm going to get victory, it comes back at us again. Just when I think I've finally licked this temptation, bam, there it is in front of us. And we give in. 
For some of us, maybe like me, it's a self-image struggle that you face all your life, a confrontation that you've been avoiding. Someone you work with or in your family who's intimidating and dominating. Sometimes the boss or even sometimes the person you're trying to win to Christ constantly pushing you off. Sometimes it's a coworker. For some in the room, it's a financial giant. And you wonder, am I ever, ever, ever going to get victory? Some live with a past. You saw that opening clip that couldn't have been better this morning. Of a past that they carry around with them every day of their life. They never somehow open up the suitcase and just let it spill out at the feet of Jesus. They just take it from place to place, relationship to relationship, and church to church. But it haunts them and taunts them, just like Goliath did to the Israelites every day or every week of their lives. Some have taken on Goliath and won. Others have taken them on and lost. And others are just so tired of fighting, they lose heart. A couple of observations in your sermon notes this morning. Sometimes, sometimes God allows, doesn't always send, but he allows in our pathway those giants to stretch us spiritually. God knows sometimes he's got to put some things or allow some things. Nothing ever happens to us that doesn't go through God's hand. He's not aware of it. He's always aware of it. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knows the challenges in front of you. And sometimes he allows that just to stretch us spiritually. We need that next challenge. If you know anything about muscle tone or muscle development, you got to sometimes push hard against one or the other or something so that you can build it up and it gets stronger and stronger. Like a tree that's got to have real deep roots. It's got to face the wind every once in a while. So it continues to get stronger. The second thing is dealing with giants never leave us the same. We either become intimidated like the army of Israel and hide and lose our faith or we face them and grow. But when we're done, we'll find ourselves either either going forwards or backwards. Backwards in that we just keep giving in. We're tired of fighting. We're tired of going through the temptation. We're tired of dealing with the issues. And we just give up. But we usually won't stay the same. Now, this Goliath is real. The guy's nine foot nine. I mean, that's almost as tall as a basketball net. His armor weighed 125 pounds. I mean, that, what do you weigh? 135, 140? I mean, that's one whole person is just the weight of his armor. Got a long spear. The tip alone weighed 25 pounds. When I had my heart deal a number of years ago, I said you can't lift anything over five pounds. I'm going, five pounds, that's nothing. Until you try to do it when you're not ready for it. And then you realize it's a bag of sugar and a 10-pound bag of sugar. And then a 25-pound. That's just at the end of his, wheat, of his uh, spear. Incredibly intimidating. And if he just stood there, that'd be one thing. But instead he starts to trash talk. Challenge the Israelites to a battle. Not just any battle, but a battle for freedom or slavery. Battle goes on for 40 days. Day after day, the taunting goes on. And every day, the Israelites backed off. And after every day, they felt a little bit smaller and a little bit weaker. Ever been there? Afraid, beaten down, you lost courage and hope until the fear begins to dominate your thinking, your imagination, and worse, your soul. And you feel like you're never going to get free. For some people, it's become a way of life. Now, once you realize the size of Goliath and the size of David, it doesn't take a genius to realize that David's overmatched. 
had the opportunity, hadn't taught VBS for five or six years, and this year a couple of the guys that normally would teach were in the Dominican Republic, so the VBS director, who I happen to know pretty well, said, you're going to teach fifth grade. I said, okay, I'm in. I loved it. I forgot how much I missed it. And a lot of different stories we shared every night by some of these characters. And so one night it was David and Goliath. So Ben Lowry and a couple of other great people, Sarah Reed, were helping me out. And so one night I put Ben up against the littlest kid in the room. And I said, okay, I just want you to get perspective as to how tall and intimidating. And that little boy, I mean, he just, his eyes were this big around. Like, is he going to do something to me? kind of thing. Once you realize the size of Goliath and the size of David, it's easy to understand how incredible this story is. I'm going to make another observation in your sermon notes for a moment. Sin and Goliath, sin and Satan are like Goliath. It's more than a match for you and I alone. There's no such thing as being even with the struggle of sin. Without the power of Christ within me, fighting with us and for us, you'll lose. I'll lose. Do not buy the lie that I can handle this on my own. I, I can do it. I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than this. I've been doing I can. Without the power of Christ, which is why he said, greater is he was in you than he was against you. Without the power of Christ in you, you will not do it. Incredible story. I won't take time to tell it to you this morning in the book of Acts when Paul was casting out demons and some who watched it said, ooh, that's cool. Let's do that. Let's try that. Name of Jesus come out. They beat the daylights out of those guys. The demons did. Without the power of Christ, you can't do it. That's why it's so incredibly important that we do. Day after day in verses 8, he stands on the hill and he yells and he screams. And if you imagine it in your mind, it's like some of you may see football on a regular basis. You've got two teams that all of a sudden run out of that tunnel and they get out on the field and they're yelling, they're screaming, they're hollering, they're trash talking against one another and then they go back in the tunnel and never play the game. That's what this is like day after day after day for 40 years, 40 days. They run out, do their deal, scream and hollow and run back in. And it continues to go on for 40 days. Let me say another thing about sin. It'll keep taunting you as long as it can. Its hope is to overtake you, which is why you cannot play with sin. In verses 12 to 19, it's the story of David packing up just to take some food to his brothers. Dad says, hey, look, your brothers are facing a battle. They're in the army. I want you to take some food down to them. And so he packs it all up and does that and finds the army of Saul. As he starts out this morning, he had no idea, no idea at all that he was going to face the biggest challenge of his life thus far at that point. See the analogy? There are some days your day starts out like that. Mine does. You think it's a normal day. The alarm goes off. You get up, get dressed, eat breakfast, head out the door, go to work, deal with family, whatever that may be, and all of a sudden, bam, it comes at you. What we're going to see in David's life is this. Although he had no idea that he was about to face one of the biggest battles of his life thus far because he had faced other difficult situations and seen the faithfulness of God, he did not face Goliath unprepared. Unaware, but not unprepared. That's why, in your sermon notes, constant, consistent spiritual growth in your life is crucial. It's not enough just to raise your hand, sign a card, say a prayer. I cross the line, I'm fine. 
I know Jesus, I accept him as Savior one day. It's not enough. That's a great start. It's exactly where you start. It's what you want to do. It's the only requirement to come and take communion is that you know Christ is your Savior, but you never, ever want to stay there. You want to continue to grow in your spiritual walk. Sometimes it is facing giants. Sometimes going through difficult situations. Sometimes taking on a challenge you never think you would do to have God stretch you and develop in you. But I'm telling you, you cannot stay the same. You cannot think, as long as I'm in, I said a prayer, signed a card, said a prayer, I'm okay. No, constant, consistent spiritual growth is critical because I'm telling you, one day something's going to come at you that'll nail you and you'll never recover. King Saul should have been the one to take on Goliath. He just didn't know what to do. A lot of people live like that. They don't deny the problem. They just don't know what to do. They hope it'll stay over there somewhere. Heaven forbid if we discuss it. Heaven forbid if I go to counseling. I can't deal with that. I'll lose my job. Deal with trouble in my marriage? You kidding? All we'll do is argue again. Go toward the problem? You're crazy. My parents will never understand. Go home? No way. Dad will never let me back. People like that don't live in denial. They acknowledge the problem. They just choose to ignore it. But day after day, it haunts them and taunts them, and they live in bondage forever. Now, I know that if we take on Goliaths, we may die. But you know what could be worse than dying? Living in bondage every day of your life when God offers freedom. Enter David into the picture in 1 Samuel 17. Dad says, go down, take some food to the boys. David goes down, see this whole deal, knows where he's at, knows where the army is, sees the Philistines, hears Goliath's challenge. Everybody runs except David. He's like that police officer or fireman who instead of running from the bullets or the fire, runs to it and does whatever he can. He basically in verse 26 said, who does this guy think he is? What made me laugh when I wrote that is, I got to believe that some of the Israelites didn't say the same thing about David. Who do you think you are? Now, when Eliab, his oldest brother, in verse 28, heard him speaking, he burned with anger and said, Why'd you come here? Aren't you supposed to be out watching sheep? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Now, if David had looked like Mel Gibson's character in Braveheart, or Braveheart, there it is, or Dwayne Johnson the Rock, maybe they would have thought twice. But David is just a kid, a shepherd boy, a little kid giving advice to army men. Did you ever have anybody younger than you give you advice? I know I have. Imagine being at AK Steel for 30 plus years. You know your job. You could do it in your sleep. You're hot. You're sweaty. You're doing the best you know how. And some young college boy who doesn't look like he's old enough to drive comes and gives you advice. How does it make you feel? How do you treat him? Maybe you've done church a certain way forever and some new pastor fresh out of seminary thinks he can change everything in a week and Said, hey, let's do this. He takes all the pews out and turns the thing upside down with tables and chairs and lamps. 
Most often, one of two things happen. He either blows up the church or the church chews him up. Did you know that 80% of graduates from seminary or Bible college leave ministry within the first five years? 80%. Do you have any idea how happy I am that in January of this coming year, I'm going to celebrate 40 years for that reason? I can't tell you the amount of advice I've gotten through the years from every generation from the 20-somethings who are going to show us how to do church and life right. What's funny is many of them forget I was 20-something once. See, I grew up in the 60s. Everybody was out of touch with reality in the 60s. The establishment was so out of touch, they had no idea what was going on. We were going to fix everything. And then came the church growth movement in the 80s that had all kind of ideas under the sun. Then the Gen X church and the millennial movement. Do you know why they're called millennials, by the way? Because they're going to be living in your house for a thousand years. No. <laughs> I love that line. I had to put it in. And now you've got the emerging church, which, to be honest with you, if you really think about it, if you've been around long enough, is the 60s again. Sometimes they get frustrated with advice. Sometimes I wish I'd have remembered my enthusiasm when I came out of seminary. And sometimes I wish I would have listened more. Like I wish someone would have listened to me. You know as well as I do, we can have a lot of people who put us down. We've got a lot of people in our lives that lift us up. And I'll admit that David should have been a little more sensitive to war-weary soldiers. I've seen young people who should have been encouraged. Instead, they were ignored. And I've seen some young people who, before they tried to fix the older generation, should have just said, thank you. You see, the older we get in your sermon notes, the more mature and humble we ought to be. The older we get, the more mature and humble we ought to be because the end product of spiritual formation is spiritual maturity. I've been around long enough to watch people of every aspect of life and every generation of life, and some of them have remarkably The older they get, the better they got. The sweeter, the tenderer, the nicer, the more wonderful to be around. And others, you know as well as I do, are just going to plain old nasty away. Just not going to die. They're just going to nasty away. And, And the older we get, the more tender and mature and wonderful to be around we ought to be. Because that's the end product. What David needed was a big brother in his life who lifted him up instead of putting him down. And you know as well as I do, there's no shortage of Eliabs in the world, even in the church, whose arrows of criticism cut deep into the heart and your soul. Cut deeper sometimes even than Goliath's spear. What's interesting is Eliab's statement. He says, I know how wicked your heart is. And the one thing that God used to define David is a what? A man after God's own heart. And what intrigued me is Eliab went straight for the thing that he knew would hurt David the most. Most often in your sermon, those words that hurt us come from those close to us. Just when we need the words of a friend or a brother to encourage us, words of discouragement cut deep. Usually when someone puts us down, it's because they aren't happy with who they are and they want everyone else to feel as badly about themselves as they do. They'll never admit that, but I'm telling you, it's true. 
Proverbs writer said, words are powerful. The tongue has the power to give life or bring death. Proverbs 12, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise can bring healing. We all have heliums, and what we have to decide is we're going to let them tear us down, break us, or take the power of God and all that he's made available to us and allow us to become stronger. David needed some balance in his life. Because to be honest with you, a young warrior without wisdom is nothing more than a loose cannon. A young warrior without wisdom is nothing more than a loose cannon. The problem is not enough around to give him wisdom. He needed that from an older brother, didn't get it. Needed as a father an encourager and didn't get it. Needed it from a real king and didn't get it. I mean, when David was being anointed, Samuel was calling out his brothers <coughs> said to the dad, who's going to be the next? And dad paraded all the brothers and finally said, there's nobody left. Well, we got David. I mean, where's the encouragement in that? And Saul, who should have been the ultimate, who stood head and shoulders above almost everybody in the nation of Israel, bailed. And unfortunately, David had none of those people in his life that would impact him and To be honest with you, in some respects, that impacted the rest of his life. So the question remains, who do you get your encouragement from? And who are you encouraging? Who are you looking at that says, man, that they have potential? A lot of you are bosses. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are professors. Some of you are people all over the landscape of life. And you have the opportunity to see that son or that daughter or that person that you're around to say, man you got potential. Help me, Lord, to help them see it and understand it and bring it out from them. We're so used to this story being all about David and Goliath, and certainly a lot of it is, but there's so much more to this story if we only go to the end and the five stones and the killing of Goliath and miss some really powerful lessons along the way in this story. People who are younger in life are supposed to learn wisdom from those who have gone on before them, which is my case now in my 60s, and I hate to admit that it's the AARP card time that's been coming to my house every other week. And when I look at young at heart going to an event, I'm saying, well, God bless them. I'm so one of them. (laughs) I can't believe it. Those of us who are in this older generation or the generation before the one behind you, man, they're looking to us. For some encouragement and wisdom. And I love the fact that God reminds me of that in his contact. When David could have been so much more lifted up instead. Now David obviously knew where to get his help. Because he ultimately depended on God. Not blindly though. Of course as Bob mentioned a few weeks ago in the story of Benaiah. The stories of taking on the lion and the bear are significant to taking on the challenge of Goliath. He didn't take it on unaware The way we take on Goliath in your sermon notes are the way we take on smaller battles. If we shrink from them now, it's going to be very difficult to take on the next larger challenge. We can go toward the challenge or we can shy away and back down. But I'm telling you, the more you do that, the easier it's going to get. The more intimidated you become and the less empty you'll feel. David took on Goliath, not in Saul's armor. They tried it, didn't work. He took it on through the power of God. Successfully handling the giants of life 
are done by handling the smaller issues in your past, which is why it is so important that you and I resist temptation. Satan knows our weakness. And if we allow temptation to constantly defeat us on the smaller issues, I'm telling you, you won't have power to face the bigger ones. Final note in your sermon notes. Yesterday's victory gives me confidence for today's battle. A lot of us in the room are facing giants. They could be physical. They could be relational. They could be emotional. Could be career giants. Could be that constant temptation but i got to believe that a lot of us in this room are facing a giant of some kind or the other. Got to believe that a lot of us in this room have people in our lives that look to us. Either for encouragement or wisdom or direction or some guidance or just an arm around them or a way to lift them up. And so when you look at this story, don't always see it as what you normally think of with David and Goliath and the five stones and taking on and all of that, which is an incredible story. But what I love when I read the Word of God is some of the underneath things that, that I'll miss if I only get to the end and finally see it and then move on. So God, who have you placed in my life that I can encourage? Who can you place in my life that if not encouraged, they're going to be a loose cannon and not be valuable to a lot of people or in a lot of places? So help me to see through that. And then for a few of you in the room, maybe for a lot of us in the room, God, I'm facing an incredible challenge. Physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, with my career, with my family, whatever that may be. God, in Jesus' name, give me courage. Greater is he who is in you than he who is against you. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Verses all over Scripture, the promises of God are endless but we've got to apply them and take them. So let me pray for you. How many of you in the room are facing a giant of some kind? Raise your hand. All right. God, for a lot of us in this room, they all look different. And to you as well. But when we look at you, we see the same. The God who loves us, gave his life for us, promises us he'll be with us no matter what. So every one of these hands represents a different issue, a different circumstance, a different problem that we face. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you'll bless them, walk with them, heal, touch, encourage, strengthen, guide, direct, whatever they may need. As in these quiet, solemn moments, they tell you and seek from you. Talk to him for a minute, and then I'll close. Father, I love the fact that you hear our prayers. I love that verse, the Old Testament that says, God of heaven bends his ear over heaven to hear the cries of his children. What a tremendous picture of you listening to us. And so as you heard our cries and our prayers and our concerns as we laid them before you, 
pray, oh God, that you will continue to work in really powerful ways as we take on the challenges of life with your strength, by your power, with all the resources you have given us to become all that you've designed us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey, if I can pray for you, I know there's a couple people here this morning who would love to be anointed. One of the things we believe in here at Community Alliance is that God still heals today. And so if you want to be prayed over, we'd love to do that. Maybe there's another situation that we can pray with you about. There's elders here this morning, others who would like to pray for you. You come this way while everybody goes that. God bless you. See you next week. Please come back and make sure you invite somebody.